Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and I'm joined this evening uh, by a sweet dude uh, out here in the Milwaukee music scene uh, who uh, has played in a myriad of, of both original and tribute bands, and uh, he's known for playing, uh, for absolutely shredding it uh, with his uh, covers of popular artists uh from the 60s and 70s uh on instagram videos uh so go check his instagram out yeah i'm excited to talk to him about his passions artistry and why he does what he does uh thank you very much kevin topel for joining me today pleasure is mine oh kevin good to see you how are you i'm doing quite well this evening it's a very very peaceful night you know the i've got the windows open it's like 50 plus degrees outside or at least it was so yeah. it's um i'm in a very pleasant mellow mood at the moment that's good isn't it wild that it was like it felt like the negative 30 degrees out like a week ago and now it's like <laughs> april outside <laughs> yeah i mean i'm so chronologically disoriented as it is that you know I've completely given up on trying to have my mind and body synced up with some objective measure of time yeah. <laughs> so April December I don't fucking care it's yeah right. yeah dude. <laughs> I think that after COVID like time became such an abstract concept to wrap your head around I mean it already is an abstract concept, but just amplified with just this weird sense of proximity, distance between things you're familiar with. Um, it's been really weird, and I'm it's just whack that the year's already over. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a River Wester? I am a former River Wester. I spend a lot of my waking hours in that neighborhood when I do venture out of my house, but I'm currently closer to downtown these days. Oh, cool. Of Van Buren. Yeah. So oh, nice. Yeah, it's uh it's my first time. This I you know I I like many Milwaukee residents, uh I'm 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 part of the trend of moving southward as you age. And this is the furthest You're south of Milwaukee I've lived. <laughs> You're, yeah, you're you're retiring. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm I. For me, I like keeping Brady Street as my the the, the location to which I'm like kind of loosely tethered. As long sure. as I'm within walking distance to Brady Street, that makes me feel somewhat connected to what's happening. I don't know why, but that's psychologically how it plays out for me. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'll eventually also start moving south uh, mm. to um, maybe make it down to Bayview eventually. Uh, but you never know. Uh, I'm open-minded. So, Kevin, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And uh, so we, we've been connected on social media for a while. Uh, I knew of you for a while. Um, spoken to a couple dudes that have played music with you. Uh, shout out to Al Kramer, shout mm. out to, you know, Vic Buell, shout out to Danny Dahl, um, 
uh, Miles Coyne, um, Sean Anderson, all those guys uh, who play in so many fucking cool, like, uh, psych and rock bands. Um, love all those guys. Hope they're doing well. I was eager to, like, actually meet you and, you know, get to hear your story. And I, we finally did meet when you filled in at that Moonrat show uh, at the Cooperage uh, two summers ago. And that was that was a really, really dope night. Um, there was that light show uh, company that was there that night, I believe. I forgot what they're called. Um, I'm also in a, a mind block. But yeah, that was. Yeah. It was but it was super rad. It was like one of the trippiest nights of Milwaukee music I've ever been to. Full sensory and experience. Very, <laughs> very um but you know i've also seen some of the other stuff you've done i know you've done like uh the the beatles tribute uh the glad onion band uh i know you did i believe i saw you did a black sabbath tribute at one point too mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we did a zeppelin tribute at company brewing that was the original tribute show. oh wow big tribute guy <laughs> you know well it's like uh a lot of bands just deserve to have their music performed the way like an orchestra would perform some piece of classical music you know you're just curating and keeping alive these songs i mean um and i think it's also you know everybody you, you don't develop your your style you know or write songs in a void you know there's always some context there some tradition uh in sources that you're drawing from so for me i kind of like to lay those all bare and uh yeah you know acknowledge that i'm standing on the shoulders of giants when it comes to doing whatever it is i'm doing you yeah. know for me it really it's like writing music it's just um i have in, you know in my imagination i'm like oh you know i'll i'll go through a period where i'm listening to cream all the time and i'm like god i wish they had just one more album I just want one more album of songs. I know it's never going to exist. But I'm like, well, okay, well, you know, maybe that's how I'll approach writing songs for the next week. You know, just as a little experiment and, uh, you know, applying some constraints to what I'm doing. So I kind of, you know, it's, for me, what writing is, is kind of filling in those holes in your own kind of listening, you know, in your own playlists, you know. Yeah. That's kind of one way I conceptualize it. It's just what, what would I honestly... As a as a consumer of music, what do I want to hear that doesn't exist yet, or that doesn't exist in the quantity that I wanted to exist yeah. in? Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's that's one angle I approach you know approach that from. But it's also fun too. I mean, when you're learning how to play music, you listen to these bands, and you know, you spend so many hours on your instrument just trying to get these riffs down. You know, this, you know, I, I always had some kind of like patron saint musician growing up that I'd always look at and be like, that's the person I want to be. And I'm not going to fucking stop practicing until I can get to, you know, to where they're at, you know, yeah. well, 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 slight hubris, but it, that, that approach always worked for me. Like when I was a kid and I first started playing guitar and bass, I was, I consider myself more of a bass player and I love the Chili Peppers you know this is like oh, yeah. listen to Blood Sugar Sex Magic that album all the time wanted to be Flea 
I thought Flea was the coolest person. And in a lot of ways, I still do. <laughs> yeah. I had a but, friend, one of my friends growing up's dad looked exactly like Flea. It was so uncanny. <laughs> it's like, dude, is there something you're not telling me? Is Flea like your dad? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, there's they've gone through so many different uh, permutations and over the years, but they were one of those bands growing up that forever, you know, uh, just the the have that very strong nostalgia factor yeah uh, yeah when I, I also had a punk phase in high school but that ended when i started smoking weed and then had like this hippie sea change yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. wow you know zeppelin rules that's oh yeah you know, and uh <laughs> that's when i like got back into get, playing guitar more and i was like jimmy page this is the way that then he kind of took over as you know for a little while as the the patron saint that i you know you know that that, that i would ask to intercede on my behalf <laughs> yeah so yeah dude. i zeppelin was my first like like band i was like obsessed with when i was a kid uh like i really only uh got music got into music when i was like 11 or so like before that, I didn't really care. Uh, I just played video games all the time. But kind of the same for me. Yeah. But when my sister started, like, kind of showing me her music, like, she got me into Led Zeppelin. And I like what you said about how, like, you're kind of imagining, like, what you would do, how you would carry, like, a concept that one of these bands, like, was doing or had started and, like, how you would like carry it like what you would do like how would how you would build off from that or how you would like yeah. you know kind of take that and run with it if if you know that was like in your hands but what's cool about like you know tribute bands is that you can you know reimagine things uh with your own little with your own flair with your own uh um dynamic just with your own like creative vision in a way that doesn't depart from the source material like altogether and uh, that can be a vastly creative endeavor endeavor in of itself you are actively still part like playing a part in creating too so yeah i mean for me originality is a very difficult like idea to pin down you know i think it's different from authenticity or sincerity or whatever synonymous terms exist but for me i don't I, like originality isn't like a a virtue that i aspire to actualize as a musician because anytime people want to be original i always feel like they just churn out a bunch of bullshit that it's like some kind of abstract avant-garde you know they, they they just end up you know it always ends up de just devolving into like let's just find different ways to kind of violate the listeners expectations or go against like what harmonically sound naturally sounds good to human beings and it doesn't end up being that interesting to me i think originality is just something that happens as a byproduct of you just taking your own like musical preferences seriously and having fun with those you yeah. know i don't really know if there's any been any 
major musicians or composers that <clears throat> really set out to be original and succeeded in that goal. Like, I feel like all of them had much more, you know, they, they really believe, you know, many people really believed in themselves, but they all were, you know, <laughs> looking back at people that they were, that inspired them and kind of tweaking yeah. what they were doing. And, and, you know, it's much more like, in their heads, probably just much more of an incremental process, you know, just doing these slight tweaks, these, you know, just having fun with what's been passed on to them. And I think maybe the process, something really novel does come out, but it's it's a hard thing to chase if that's what you're aiming at. But I think it, you know, it can ensue as a as a byproduct. That's kind of yeah. that's been my view, you know, especially because a lot of people, you know, a lot of musicians, I think a lot of artists in general, a lot of creative types, you know, don't, you know, they, there's this like, impulse to want to conceal the sources you know you don't want to be too too open about like where you're drawing from you know and that's never been something that i found yeah necessary. you know it's, it's not interesting i want to know what people are listening to like what gets people excited i want to know like not only what you're listening to but why you find it so appealing you know because i think it's always you know human beings we have this uh you know we, we, the only mind you have access to is your own that's the only subjective consciousness that you can observe and you always when you're trying to understand other people you assume that their experience of the world and of you know of music is akin to yours and, and i think in many ways it is but then there's you know those differences are really important and interesting because there's things that people listen to and i'm like you know, I think I, I don't like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I have, you know, probably many less than nice terms. For sure. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I, I, then I'm like, yeah. okay, well, what, what are they hearing? What are they getting out of it? You know, that's more, you know, objectively, what I'm let's put myself aside. What are you know, what are they hearing here that's really resonating with them? That's always been a very interesting question. And yeah. You know, there's, and I think when when you're listening to music too, you're kind of like trying to engineer certain moods, certain states of mind, and I think, you know, that's telling in and of itself of like, there's a lot going on that informs people's preferences. I just find oh, yeah. it interesting to kind of th think as like a anthropologist about it sometimes, and just be like, okay, before we start going into the whole aesthetic judgment realm, let's just try to understand what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. I no, I agree with you, and I'm I'm glad uh, you uh, like shed light on this idea of originality because truly, like nothing is ever a hundred percent completely original. Everyone is it is inspired or influenced by whatever it is that gave them the idea, whatever it what whatever it is that you know, they um, are doing. Uh, I guess it's self-defeating to try too hard to conceal your influences for that reason, because everything, like we are just saying, like everything is inspired by a, something, whether it's, whether it's one thing that gave you the idea to do something, or it was a multitude of ideas um, that, gave you an idea and it's okay to celebrate that whether it's a singular influence or 
it's a multitude of influence uh influences it's okay to celebrate that um and i know that people like to just have their art their music um their expression like defined as its own thing and it of course it still is what things have you experienced or been exposed to that led you to this point i also find that really interesting um you know i do my bet like i don't i don't like comparing bands to to other bands that came before them because no one wants to hear that oh you sound exactly like this because you know you're still trying to do your own thing that's also a very fluid process um as far as like what kind of music you're making how you're making it like what the production looks like the instrumentation the textures the mood everything you know can still uniquely be your own as long as you're not like deliberately trying uh uh not to as long as you're not deliberately trying to be somebody else i think that <laughs> people can clearly see when you are being genuine and that i think can define itself as original that's um that's interesting yeah the the, the <clears throat> your statement that people can tell if you're being authentic yeah i've always thought that humans have a very like you know there's there's a there's a module in our brains that is uh kind of an authenticity evaluator you know i think for like us being such a social animal that's it's it's a like a telling the truth being honest being authentic is such a salient quality that we seek in others and that we in turn i think you know we internalize that with ourselves too of like you know you want to you know evaluate yourself and also you know we we, we always want to detect you know some there's times in social situations in which something just doesn't feel right you know or like you're listening to an artist and you're like that's not them or it's like, I don't, how, how, who am I to judge that? Like, I don't know this person, you know, I don't really know, um, you know, what motivated them to create this or that, but, you, but not, nevertheless, that intuition exists. And it's a superpower. It's, it's a weird thing. I mean, I always, I mean, that's one of those, you know, when people critique artists and I mean, I'm that musicians but broadly just anyone that's creating anything that's one of the the go-to standards by which you evaluate the goodness of whatever they're doing is authenticity right yeah you know but i always i think about honesty a lot in general just when you're when i'm writing and especially when i'm like putting lyrics to what i'm writing i always just you know there's always this feeling that it, that tells me if I've got it right <laughs> there's a there's a very strong instinct that's that, that will call me out immediately that well this is this is bullshit all right yes. <laughs> and and so you know I've always listened to it you know some you know I I could try and dismiss it I could try to rationalize my way out of it but I found that it's best to just like hold off until you find your voice rather than prematurely just you know put put uh your stuff out in the world for other people to consume like i i'm somebody that really takes those those 
those intuitions seriously for better or worse. I mean, some people would say, well, I mean, maybe you're being a little bit too critical of yourself. Maybe you are uh, kind of conflating the creative and the, and the kind of editing processes and, and many situations in which those are, are the case. But ultimately I, I, I do trust the intuitions and I'm like, I will, I'd rather not release something that I don't feel is true to me <laughs> than, you know, just release stuff for the sake of like, staying relevant or feeling accomplished you know yeah I, I hear you dude with recognizing nuance and rejecting this absolutism you can apply that to the way art is made and the way we consume and the way we uh contemplate art because this feeds into the like when we think about whether or not everything whether or not things are original like yeah nothing is true nothing is truly original even your heroes had influences uh and their heroes heroes had influences we're inspired and influenced by the world around us based on our exposures and our experiences and instead of rejecting those things like i think it's worth like acknowledging and celebrating them and in the same way you acknowledge and celebrate like the nuances in life around you that everyone's different around you. Like people all around you have lived like their own independent lives that you know nothing about, you know? <laughs> and and I mean, this goes into, this feeds into a whole lot of like philosophical ruminations that we could talk all night about, but. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I am too. <laughs> but like, point is that like, you know, a lot of times people get really hard on themselves for not being perfect, or for not being 100% authentic, or uh, being able to adhere 100% to like, their values or their, their authenticity all the time. That's an unrealistic expectation to put on yourself. Yeah, because, you know, we like we are by design flawed beings. And um, as long as you do your best at something, even if, you know, whether or not somebody likes it or not is negligible. But if you like it, that like paves the way to authenticity and authenticity um, is the closest thing we come to originality. Uh, I would well say. said yeah yeah that's i will sign off on that thesis <laughs> yeah uh, um yeah no i i always i always liked the idea that you know life is a process of becoming not being right. you know you're you're it's a process it's not a state you know you're always going to be you know whatever you put out creatively at this point or that point is just an expression of who you were in that moment or in leading up to that moment and you know with every subsequent song you write album you put out whatever it might be you know like that's just kind of a time stamped version you know and amongst the many iterations of <laughs> who you will be across time across your lifespan and that 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 helps me just relax the fuck out yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. So, i mean like you say like yourself you know be yourself you know be authentic be, be original whatever you know there's 
you know, you, you, you tend to like just put all these artificial constraints in yourself and, you know, think of yourself as a very static fixed entity that is easily definable. And obviously that's uh, just, you know, a, a very kind of myopic view. Of, it um, becomes a, it becomes a moot uh, conquest of trying to maintain this static uh, entity slash uh, self-perception when really like we're constantly evolving and changing over time. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how this year started completely different than its ending uh, hmm. for me personally. Kevin, where are you from? I grew up in the small town of Heartland, Wisconsin, which is about 20-ish miles west of Milwaukee. Yeah. So it's a very small, conservative uh, place. Um, went to Arrowhead High School, which is like kind of the uh, training, finishing school for aspiring professional athletes in many ways. and went to graduate with many very talented and successful athletes <laughs> but a lot of really cool people out in my hometown many of which many of whom i'm still friends with to this day but yeah heartland wisconsin waukesha county <laughs> yeah. right on so how did music all kind of start for you like where did it kind of really uh uh materialize as a creative outlet for yourself yeah well i mean before i was into music i was into sports and drawing i loved sketching and that was my creative outlet for most of my childhood and then around the time i was 11 or 12 my i have an older sister holly who's eight years older than me yeah, so you know she was maybe 19 20 years old she gave me this acoustic guitar that she that she had that she didn't play anymore and was like here you can get the music here because i you know she gave me some some of her like four of her cds all like early 90s grunge mm -hmm. alternative rock bands like i think one of them was uh, temple of the dog you know that self-titled album which is still great um pearl jam vitology Okay. Um, Nirvana Unplugged in New York, which another just uh, classic 90s album that I think, yes. you know, it, everyone that grew up, that came of age in the 90s or <laughs> listened to music in the 90s, like had that in their collection at one point. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. like required, you know, and yeah. it is, it's, it's interesting revisiting it, you know, today and just feeling like, all those same emotions I felt when I first listened to it back in like 98, you know, <laughs> yeah. I grew up with those songs. My sister would always, you know, she was older than me. So she was always playing music and, um, you know, was playing guitar for a little while when she was in high school. And that was kind of my first like exposures to music that really made me feel something. Mm. And I even remember even if we're to go back even further, uh, I, when I was a kid, I went to a very conservative uh, private Lutheran school. Oh, sure. Yeah. And there was, we would always have to like practice 
singing hymns that we would then and on Sunday sing in church. And there was one hymn, and I remember this very distinctly. It was hymn 440 in the uh, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod hymnal on Eagle's Wings. <laughs> that okay. I was like maybe second grade. Every time we'd sing it in practice, it, I'd start crying because I just it made, made me fucking sad. It was it's kind of like a it's a very bittersweet, wistful kind of song, more of a contemporary, you know, hymn. But I and like I remember my teacher made me like stayed from recess to talk about why <laughs> I was crying. And I, you know, at that age, you don't know how to articulate anything. It's like, well, you, it's, this music musical experience just kind of uh, came out of nowhere and yeah. hit you in your yeah. world. And I, I mean, there was, I, <laughs> I think too, I don't know if you've ever seen the original Fantasia, but that oh, sure. yeah. Disney movie really made really stuck with me really i mean it was so emotive every scene you know is it's like it's like some very like hyperbolic emotion you know like dinosaurs you know like flourishing and then going extinct you know that all, all that really like those are core memories that were um just etched into my brain that aren't going anywhere and, and just paired with music too. yeah you know one of those experiences of having the visual you know, a musical pairing, um, you know, which I think all of us, you know, have a lot of experience of that. Like you, like you, you always associate this song with like the first time you saw the music video or um, like hearing the song and looking at the, like, like the album sleeve and, you know, and seeing the artwork in there, uh, you know, there's always that visual element that we, our minds conjure up. Um, so that was another one. And like my grandparents and my, you know, family members, like I've always been in the Beatles. That's been like a life. They've been a, a band that I've appreciated my entire life. So that's probably some of the earliest stuff. But my sister really is the one that I credit for getting me into music. And she's always been very supportive and encouraging. So, you know, I started playing acoustic guitar, shortly traded that in for a little Squire practice amp and uh, like Stratocaster set <laughs> and sure. um, yeah that was probably back in like 97 98 I was like 11 or 12 years old and then I knew right away that this is this is like the path you know I knew that music was what I needed to do yeah <laughs> there was no doubt I'm like you know, I, oh, I think yeah. at that age too when you're kind of going into middle school you're fucking awkward figuring things out i mean i, I really think middle school <laughs> yeah like honestly one of the objectively worst times in most people's lives especially with the onset of oh yeah making yeah. things even more complicated because now there's this this yeah. totally different dimension of existence existence that opens up you know childhood innocence is gone and you know now you're seeing this world that is more like uh <laughs> <laughs> all these with all this new host yeah. of fucking motivations and interests and uh you know but then music kind of emerged too to help assuage the awkwardness and anxiety of being a, yeah. a preteen and teen so oh yeah that's where yeah, that's where my yeah, i feel that where, <laughs> yeah. so that, that's where that's where my um my musical interest had its genesis and i had some really good teachers early on uh, the first one that 
we're like I had one teacher, my, well, it was my sister's friend, and then um, another guy, Vinnie Milvolti, who he's still uh, he owns a recording studio in town, and he's still you know in, in the Milwaukee scene. Oh. But he had a small studio in in Heartland where I grew up, and uh, uh, above Heartland Music, and for some of my first experiences recording were with him because he you know, I would just you know I, I would have my lesson in his studio. Mm -hmm. And he was teaching me guitar, but I was getting into bass at that point too. And then like you know, seventh, eighth grade. And uh he would let me record my songs in his studio during my lessons, which I said I still I found the cassette tape recently. So I need to find a way to convert that uh nice. MP3 just for posterity's sake <laughs> and hilarity's sake. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so that was like you know, early on my first experience is multi-tracking stuff and like writing songs and hearing how that process worked um and they're fucking hilarious and i wish i had them prepared now but <laughs> eventually the world will see them and we can all uh have a good laugh a good chuckle and one of my friends my friend Colin, oh yeah sure. who i've grown up with he uh he's he sang on the songs too so you can just imagine what kind of oh, nice. what kind of musical gold awaits <laughs> but yep that's that's kind of where where the passion was born, I should, I would say. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that, Kevin. That's, uh, that's pretty rad though, that, you know, it felt, uh, like genuinely you like, right. You know, when you were first kind of exposed to it and kind of eventually like continued to climb your way through the rabbit hole with like, um, different instruments and recording and how to make things sound great. Um, uh, yeah, I think that in middle, that's a really good distraction slash um, outlet uh, to, to channel energy into during middle school, because yeah, that's one of the most like cringe, like most lost soul times uh of of life for sure what was your first band i don't think we had a name but it was with my best friend and my brother and we i had a talk boy if you know what that is don't oh it's it was like a just a it was in home alone and you could record just onto a cassette tape okay just one track or maybe the, yeah, just one track, but I mean, I don't know if it did stereo or not, but yeah. So we used that to record and like, I, this is like right when I first started playing guitar and <laughs> my brother was playing keyboard and my friend was singing. And that was like the very first attempt at making music with other people. But when I was in high school or that, no, I should say middle school, th there's a VHS tape of our performance at a middle school dance. Um, but I had a band and I also don't remember if we even had a name, you know, there was like, without having a website or a social media page, there's nothing that like, <laughs> like officiates the band name. It would change so much, but we, we were like, we do covers and original songs. And we did a lot of uh, Chili Peppers, Nirvana, offspring green day you know the low-hanging fruit of the cover song world um, sure yeah <laughs> but i really really want to find this vhs tape and and 
and revisit that because another just hilarious gem from my past. But when I was in high school, like there was m the bands I was in, like we were making coherent music, <laughs> you know, like stuff that was listenable. Um, yeah. And I was it, like in high school, it was, um, there was two feet short. I played bass in this punk band and it was kind of like pop punk kind of, you know, that whole thing. Um, and we recorded like an EP of like three or four songs. And uh, then I was in another band called the Cult Classics, which I play guitar in, and that was more of a hardcore band. Mm. And that, that felt like truer to my, to my, uh, you know, I felt like this is it. Like this is, yeah, this is fucking intense. This is cool. And then, um, after that, there was a two feet short, got back together, but we were now Project Wookie. That was our band name. Okay. And that was still kind of in the punk, kind of like alt rock phase or uh, genre. And then later on in high school is when I got into like the classic rock really heavy. And when I started like really being much more like of a prolific, songwriter and um we don't I'd, I'd always write I'd always like bring tons of ideas to whatever bands I was in that was like kind of the role that I enjoyed having but it was like later on in high school and I was really like trying to flesh out fully formed songs and demo and like really take it to that next level that's kind of where things left off. Like after high school, for the first couple of years, I was in a really shitty place mentally, psychologically. And it took, I thought I was like 23 to get into the Milwaukee scene mm -hmm. when my friend Evan, who's an amazing, Evan Payton, amazing bass player, lives in New Orleans now. Mm. Uh, like probably one of the best, if not the best bass player that I know. He was in this band called the Delta Routine. He was like, hey, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need, you know, we've been a three-piece. We're looking to become a four-piece and add a lead guitar player. And I immediately thought of you, would you want to come like try it out? And um and and so I did. So I went down into River West um and you know went into this this grungy basement studio that was full of cigarette butts and yeah beer bottles yeah. and uh they showed them the songs that they were working on that they were looking to record and i like you know played a lead part that i thought was fitting and things just really gelled and that's kind of kind of the progression i guess from i mean there was like a few bands when i was like 18 19 um that were short-lived you know nothing ever really grew legs and um, became a thing. Like I was in this band called Mexico City Blues with with guys I was in in my hardcore band called Classics. And we were kind of like, that was like, the, probably around like 2005, we recorded like an album of material and it was like me trying to get my lead guitar chops like figured out, you know, I was still like, 
idolizing Jimmy Page and 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 like Hendrix, mm-hmm. um, Albert Lee, players like that, and really wanting to like be them, um, but didn't have it quite figured out yet. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And and now that like when I say all this stuff, I'm like, damn, I really want to track down all this stuff because it's it exists and you know, I'm, I'm my friends old computers hard drive and some cds i probably have in my parents basement and i don't have like you know i'm like i, I want to like gather all this shit into one uh, yeah, time capsule <laughs> yes the time capsule precisely yeah 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 <laughs> dope dude that's 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 rad stuff it sounds like you uh you dipped your feet in a bunch of different waters as far as like style and kinds of music you played um like kinds of bands and i mean delta routine yeah that's uh i know you guys are bands still around uh, is my understanding uh they're not broken up but not active anymore just because people living uh in different cities and you know just the general kind of different life trajectories <laughs> um but we reunited this year for two gigs which was super fun after you know not not having played together for 10 maybe over 10 years so that was that was really enjoyable sure okay sure um yeah I bet that felt pretty powerful to revisit <clears throat> Yeah, no, and and I really like have nothing but gratitude for that experience because I don't know how I would have like gotten involved in the Milwaukee scene if it wasn't for that band. That really that was such a I things has totally changed for me when I joined that band. Because they were already established. They were already like playing at the Up and Under and Cactus Club and Linemans and had some had like two albums released by the time I joined. And, you know, I played all these festivals and stuff. So I just joined the fun, you know, I didn't have to do all the agonizing work of building up this project and stuff. This band is already a a fully formed band. So I just kind of hopped in and, you know, Nick Amadeus, who was the front man, play guitar, sang, we really hit it off collaboratively. You know, like we're the... Same age, you know, grew up listening to the same stuff. Really, I mean, he's somebody that um, is just a very confident person, you know, really is back in the day, really like had a vision for things. And I'm I'm somebody that I like to be possessed by a vision. I like to have that uh, enthusiasm. And he was very enthusiastic and very exuberant. When, when we'd write songs, we'd get together and, you know, we'd have some beers and, you know, we'd listen to music first. We'd listen to music for like an hour in, in his mom's basement, which he had this, he, him and his friends built this, this studio down there, two rooms separated by glass, like, you know, a real fucking studio it was cool. And we'd just sit there and like smoke cigarettes and listen to music. And then like when the spirit would move us, we'd be like, oh, wow, this stroke song is really fucking cool. You know, yeah. we were like, we're yeah. like, like both like, we should, we should like, riff on this kind of this style and try to write something and you know we wrote so many songs only a fraction of which we've like recorded with the band and released but he has you know we he has a whole archive of stuff that we did together 
and you know it was very fluid like I would have a lot of like musical ideas and and then he would be like oh that's awesome play that again and then you know do like he, he would think of a vocal melody and write lyrics really quick and um, you know we'd lay it all down and I'd throw some maybe some vocal harmonies and some other instruments on top and and then like we'd show the rest of the band and then we'd all work it out as a you know as a as a full band and then it was it was a really cool process and I really you know I went into that band feeling very you know just I don't know insecure about my my playing um you know I had a lot of ambition but not a lot of direction and that band totally changed you know helped me learn how to do it right and just, just yeah just we played so many shows I mean we got my musical chops totally totally uh up to par you know really helped mm -hmm. drill that <laughs> so you know we always say like one show is worth like for a band is worth like 10 practices you know so bands that gig a lot you know they're they're getting there's a certain level of co cohesion and tightness that they get um from you know that, that regular gigging and and playing in front of a, an audience um so that was it was a and then just you know I met so many people too you know I, I went from being like someone would just play alone <laughs> and records up alone you know that never really saw the light of day to you know meeting all these people meeting all these other bands you know playing shows like going to other states and going on these like mini tours and it was super fun you know and yeah I bet yeah and then especially when you're in your like early 20s you know just being able to play music and party all the time and yeah, that was when yield bar was a thing and like we'd hang out there all the time and uh you know obviously there's like the um you know nostalgia has a way of coloring things in a very romantic attractive way but i really you know i'm really happy that i get to experience all that when i did at that time in my life <laughs> yeah oh yeah that, that that's rad uh yeah no, that's and that is special um Sounds like a, a hell of an entry into Milwaukee music, but one that was, yeah, just uh, one that helped season you and shape you, uh, yeah. musician out here. Um, what uh, what other bands uh, have you been in um, as far as like original music goes since you infiltrated Milwaukee music? Yeah, so after there was a period where I was in the Delta routine and this band called the Regidors at the same mm -hmm. time. And the Regidors are much more of like a, a heavy hitting blues rock band. And we, Delta routine played a show, a couple shows with them. And I always liked them a lot. You know, I always liked, loved the guys. Um, ben Hall was the, the singer and songwriter and rhythm guitar player. And he had a very powerful baritone voice. Mm -hmm. and I always was like well that guy you know he's got some soul you know he's fucking look cool yeah, <laughs> something yeah. cool was definitely um capturing a lot of that like bluesy classic rock influence that, are, that I really wanted to start start pursuing more um and then their drummer Josh Harper I mean that dude's a fuck he, he was a just a beast of a drummer you know, there's a lot of people that like a lot of um, like jazz musicians, you know, they play with other jazz musicians. 
I don't want to say it's like elitist, but yeah, they they want you know there's like a certain level of musical sophistication that um, that they need to share with other people to like keep things interesting. Sure. Uh, yeah. But then there's like some musicians that kind of have a foot in both worlds, and Josh was one of those people where he could play any style, and you know if it was like Latin jazz or you know uh, fusion or metal, and he could fucking pull it off. This guy was a machine. But then, like he'd be, but but then he was a drummer in this blues rock band and brought so much, like rhythmic depth and flair to what we were doing that I really felt like this made it what it was. So they eventually joined, asked me to join as their bass player, which I did, and then I eventually switched to being a lead guitar player, quit the Delta routine and focus on that exclusively, and and you know gig with them for a while. Unfortunately, we never, they released an album like right before I joined, but we never released any of the songs that uh, I wrote with them. Um, and then that fizzled out. And then that's when uh, I formed my band, The Cave Wives, which was really, that band was my baby. That was like, I'd been in the scene. I had been like part of other people's bands. I'm like, no, I really want to start my own band, you know, form it with, you know, new group of musicians and and start from page one and, you know, give it a go. So I, um, <clears throat> Lucas Fitzpatrick was a bass player in the Raggedors. Oh, you know, when it, that fizzled out. So naturally I was like, you're whatever, whatever the next project you're in. We, because we had good chemistry and you know, we were spending a lot of time together playing, you know, listening to a lot of music together. And then, uh, his roommates with this guy Mike Martin who mm -hmm. I knew like he, I mean I knew he was musically gifted he was a really gifted artist really creative guy fun guy like really energetic very uh a very sprightly fellow and sure. yeah I heard him sing uh his version of this song uh saint james infirmary but he just fucking wailed like he had um, his voice is amazing i mean he has like the range he's like the closest thing to robert plant i've encountered in my wow. you know <laughs> in my musical career That's bold. Like, yeah uh, just like a very soulful tenor male tenor vocalist sure. that really knew that really like used his voice as an instrument that really had great control great pitch um and I was amazed, like, how the fuck is this guy not in a band already? How is he not a frontman in a band? Looks cool, sounds great, has <laughs> yeah. great stage presence. So naturally, I was like, y you're in. And, you know, and he was excited. And like, when he joined, he didn't, he was very, like, he, he didn't have the classic rock literacy that the rest of us had. So he was like, discovering all these bands for the first time. And uh, like the, the you know like really listening to the Beatles and Zeppelin and stuff like um and it was that was fun because it's always like fun to like vicariously like experience like discovering a band through somebody else's like discovery of it uh and then we had our friend Eric Darbo who we got on drums and um he's a player that I've always thought he, he he's a very groovy player, one of my favorite drummers, and you know from 
the rock world was Mitch Mitchell of the Jimi Hendrix experience. And I really feel like yeah. him and Hendrix are a very underappreciated duo. The way that they play off each other, they're very di dynamic, you know, like Hendrix is very busy, very improvisational. And Mitch Mitchell is always right there with them, keeping up, you know, doing all these really groovy fills that would swing and had a, like, we're very jazz fusion inspired. And, and I felt like Darbo had that same kind of uh, style. So we, you know, the Cave Wives, we got together, recorded an album, played a lot of shows and did that for a couple of years. And uh, that was like the last original band that I was in. And our last show that we played together was at Company Brewing. And I don't remember what year it was, if it was 2016, 2017, 18, somewhere around there. But so, you know, I've been out of uh, the scene for a while. Um, that band, really, it's been, you know, I, I still have uh, a lot of feelings about that band. You know, if if all the guys came back together and were like, hey, let's do it again, I'd do it in a heartbeat without hesitation. Yeah. Uh, get that going again. It's because, it, you know, there's a certain you know chemistry is just one of those things that that you can't force it can't be contrived it either exists or it doesn't yeah you know it's kind of it's kind of like a romantic relationship but with like this it's it's like a yeah. like band is really just like this like like a band's like a polyamorous like love cult you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> like multiple people who are all dating each other all at the same time they all yeah. spend way too much time together and yeah. all this emotion wrapped up in each other and like the chemistry you know it's, it's either there or it's not and you can't force yeah. it and like when you're lucky enough as a musician to encounter that with other people like that's great but um yeah it's it just has to exist and the timing has to be right and people have to be in the right spots in their lives to like actualize it but um i think i've just been waiting for that to happen again you know maybe it's just gonna be different now that i'm you know 36 and i'm in a different season of life you know things have changed quite a bit since i was a, a wee little 23 year old out in the scene kind of doing my thing uh, yeah but sure. yeah yeah i mean like it's i i i've I kind of feel like I'm just like a coiled snake that will strike when it's time, you know, you like waiting for that to be, for that timing, for that next step to become apparent. It really hasn't become apparent for me what it should be, you know, like, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's, that's the story. Yeah. So I was sure. a long winded, but. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I appreciate you giving me the, the, the evolution, the, the play by play. Uh, as far as your uh, music uh, tenure has gone. And yeah, it sounds like a lot of um, rad stuff. Uh, all sounds like really fun, cool, like uh, bands to see live uh, from how you're describing like the style and the, um, and the chemistry. It's always interesting hearing about like, bands like from like before my time uh because i didn't really start getting into the music scene till like late 2018 early 2019 um and like you hear just a lot of like what bands used to be around and like musicians you know like playing around today who like used to be in bands with like other musicians that are kind of just doing their own things now 
or what bands formed from the ashes of other bands and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's always kind of interesting to sort of peel back those layers, but yeah, I, uh, appreciate you kind of, you know, giving insight on like what you've done and, um, how much it's shaped you up to this point. That said, my, my last question I really had for you, Kevin, was just what, what have you been working on now? And I'm like, I know you, you, you have been doing the glad onion tribute band. You were do you guys were doing that a bit, uh, like earlier this year. Um, but yeah, I just, I'd love to hear a bit about like, just kind of where you've been at lately. Yeah, no. Um, like I said, it's been, you know, I've been kind of paying attention to uh, kind of what's happening in the scene. I mean, I think the, the thing that I've been focusing on is just kind of getting back out there and going to shows, meeting people, you know, seeing what's, you know, what, what's transpiring in, in Milwaukee music. You know, I'm, I'm a, will always be a champion of the city and of the scene. And will you know, I try to be as supportive as I can with other people in a sincere way. I really want people to do, to become, you know, to become the fully self-actualized musicians they're supposed to become. And, you know, if I can help in any way and support them and encourage them, I will. I just want good music to exist on this planet. Yeah, and I don't want people to get discouraged and cynical and bitter or resentful or depressed and and not do what they love. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah. and with that being said, that's kind of the same things I guard against in myself of just like, um, you know, I every day I play music. I, um, you know, when I I work from home a lot, so I take breaks and will just play guitar or piano write stuff, record stuff, just demo things, you know, revisit things. And uh, I have a lot of songs in the pipeline that I might just release solo, uh, you know, where I'll play all the instruments and, um, you know, just put, 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 you know, put them all together as a collection, uh, get some album art done and then, you know, release it and see what kind of fruit that bears. Uh, I'm sure Glide Onion will play more gigs. You know, everyone's got a lot, you know, uh, has their, has other bands and, you know, um, a lot of other commitments. So we just do it for fun when we can. Yeah. But, you know, there's, uh, you know, I have a lot of musicians uh, that I've stayed friends with throughout the years and I've kept in touch with. And, uh, you know, there's always like these, you know, these like, very nascent uh you know band discussions of like oh there's there, you know here's an idea for a band oh what, what if we did this you know and, and oh then, yeah 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 we get you know we kind of keep teasing this idea so i think something's gonna happen <laughs> we'll see i mean i would like to just it, right now the vision is release a, an album of just solo material and then i'll find uh you know i'd like to find just like a drummer and a bass player to go and play it live mm -hmm. you know but we'll we'll see what kind of uh form the song end up taking when you know when i when they're finally like recorded and and fully flushed out you know because you know you never know if it's going to be like 
oh, let's let's do a very minimalist kind of recording of these. Let's do a live live takes with only bass, drums, and guitar or keys, and or you know, there's maybe I'll just record it myself and uh, I'll just feel free to liberally layer as many guitars as I want and do all these fun harmonies and put piano on and all this other shit on there. So you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely. Um, kind of soulful, bluesy, groovy psychedelia is what what has been kind of my uh, your wheelhouse wheelhouse the aesthetic that I've been kind of chasing, you know. So that's <laughs> fall somewhere within that. I mean, Cream Hendrix, especially Hendrix during the Experience era, like that's the stuff that I just I want more of, and if if I could be any kind of conduit for uh, that style of music, then you know I will do my darndest. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, hey, that sounds great. And you know, probably probably see some stuff pop up on uh, Instagram here and there of other covers or maybe some uh, some demo, some acoustic renditions of some original material. Sure, dude. Well, oh, man, that's fucking awesome, dude. Uh, Love to hear it. Love to see it. Uh, glad that you're, you know, kind of working inwardly um, as far as music goes. But yeah, like you said, you're a coiled snake. Uh, you'll, ah. strike, you'll strike soon. <laughs> it's the best metaphor I can come up with right now. All right. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been it's been a pleasure talking to you. You ask great questions. You're a great listener. And uh, for whoever listens to this, like me and you, we've only we've we've always been in loud chaotic environments with lots of people and we've known each other for a while now but we've haven't had a chance to sit down on a quiet like conversation amenable environment like context like this so i you know i i've enjoyed you know learning more about you too you know and yeah, look forward to more oh yeah more more conversations to come my friend <laughs> agreed yes agreed i that's why i like doing this show because it does give a more intimate closed off environment to actually talk because i get very overstimulated and overwhelmed when there's a lot of people around and when it's loud so um yeah same same could do it um i have two my closing questions that i ask everyone on the way out Kevin, my first one is, uh, what keeps you up at night? Um, that's a damn good question. <laughs> I think, honestly, to be uh, fully vulnerable about it, it's it's death and just the trans transitory nature of life, you know, and just the pace of time I, I really feel like as time passes uh, there's an increased urgency to to do what you want to do and to like self-actualize and to take your curiosities and interests seriously and and to not waste any time you know and I really feel like mortality um even as like a completely secular scientific naturalist atheist, you know, death still, you know, and kind of uh, hangs over my head and yeah. 
um, rattles me on the regular. <laughs> uh, dude, the second question is a bit more lighthearted. Uh, the flip side, what puts you to sleep? Um, well, literally, it's reading. <laughs> I go. read in bed every night, and I wait for my pituitary gland to release the the uh, melatonin. Is that the right uh, gland and hormone? But anyway, <laughs> yeah. When I get that, when I when I feel overcome with that sense of drowsiness, I uh, I just drift off into slumberland. But in the figurative sense in which you're asking the question, I would say, I think there's a lot, you know, as, as like easy as, as it is to be pessimistic and cynical, I think there's a lot uh, in our world to be grateful for and a lot of very it's like um, encouraging trends that are happening uh, at the global level, even though like our you know, the ubiquity of um, tragedy in the media and the completely, uh, you know, the neg negativity bias is like writ large in, 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 on social media and whatnot. Like, I don't feel like that tells a very accurate story of like where human civilization is going, but at a more local scale with my, with my own life, I, I, I'm just grateful to have the people around me that I have because I never feel like I'm alone. You know, I, I always, yeah. whether it's family and like close friends that I've known forever, but even like just opportunity to talk to people like yourself, like we're, you know, entering a new phase and meet new people. Like, you know, you're always learning, you're always growing, you're always, you know, connecting with, with, with new individuals. And that really, that feeling of like, we're all in this together, that, whatever feeling that is. I'm sure there's a really cool like German word for it or something, but that really warms my little heart. <laughs> it really makes me feel at ease. Like, you know, we all share the same human condition and, you know, we, I think humans have a lot more in common with each other than we realize. Yeah. And that we all want a lot of the same stuff and feel a lot of the same ways. And the more you're allow yourself to be vulnerable and come out of your shell and, and just be honest with yourself and with others, like the more you find that stuff that you thought were these weird idiosyncrasies only you were dealing with, like, you know, those are shared by other people. And that's, I think that's really, that puts me to sleep at night <laughs> to answer it your question. Me, it, that exact thing puts me to sleep too. Um, once again, like doing mr nice guy like doing the show and talking to a lot of different people like helps put that in perspective that a lot of us do have a lot of the same things that drive us fascinate us scare us intimidate us but also like a lot of us are seeking that a lot of the same things in what we do whether it's art activism uh, hobbies, um, you know, yeah, you never know what you might teach somebody or you might know, you, you never know what you might learn from somebody else, you know, so um, on that note, though, uh, Kevin, thank you for being on the show. My um, pleasure. Thank you for having me, my friend. You bet. Um, my, uh, for everyone watching, uh, I'll be, uh, it, is Cave Wives, uh, 
on streaming platforms? It's uh, it's still on Bandcamp, and they're I should mention too that there um, a remix of the album might be uh, happening, and that will definitely lead to it being back on streaming services again. So more to come on that. Cool, <laughs> sweet. Well, I'll be tagging Cave Lives and Kevin's other bands uh, in the description, so you guys can go listen to that. Uh, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. Um, stay tuned for some Kevin Topel solo material in the future. And we'll see you next time.